Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. And it's election day. We didn't mention that before. Oh, yeah. You know, it's election day. Not sure when this is going to come out. I can tell you exactly when it's going to come out. Oh, do we know about this one? Well, it'll come out either the uh, 27th or the 29th. No. Of November? Yeah. Oh, great. What a great time to talk about peak oil. Yeah. The holiday season. Everybody's <laughs> still digesting Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Um, it's a little chilly out. It's, what's every, it's what everyone's thinking about right now. Yeah. When, football when, and sports and stuff. Stuff like right. that in fall colors. Let's talk about oil. Instead, when will the world's oil production be outstripped by demand? That's right. Irrevocably. That's right. That's what peak oil is. That's what we're talking about. Before we get started, I need to just clear something up. Peak oil is a definite thing. So where's the controversy? When it's going to happen? Uh, when it's going to happen? And exactly what will happen after it happens. Okay. Because reading this, I was a little confused. It seemed like some people were like denying that it was going to happen at yeah. all or something. Yeah, no. Like, we got to run a, out, out of oil at some point. So if you talk to any peak oil adherent, there's there's definitely some that are a little more, the sky is falling than sure. others. And I think they probably represent the minority, especially now. But if you went back to like 2007, 2008 when I wrote this, mm-hmm. um, remember Matt Baker? Yes. Matt Baker, who used to work here, he was a developer. Yeah. He got me into this. Oh, really? And he would go to, like, meetings. Oh, yeah, yeah, Matt, sure. Yeah. He would go to, like, meetings and, like, about the future without oil. And, yeah. like, I mean, like, he was big time into it. And at that time, there were a lot of, like, very smart people talking very loudly. Yeah. Saying, like, dudes, we may have already hit peak oil, mm-hmm. and we need to start doing something about it or else, like, we're re- in really big trouble. Right. Those uh, Those voices have quieted down quite a bit. Due to some developments in the last couple of years, this is almost kind of like a throwback. This crude, episode crude is going down in prices. There's, a, there's a lot of stuff happening, sure. but um, for the most part, there is agreement that we will one day hit peak oil. And the definition of peak oil is not when we run out of oil, right? But when our oil production, mm-hmm. right, like removing it from the ground, it can no longer keep up with demand. Yeah. The whole reason that this will probably happen is because oil is a very finite resource, right? Yes, and we are not treating it as such. No. So those two things combined mean that we're going to run out at some point. But even if we did treat it, like even if we did conserve our oil yeah, preciously, it's still finite. but we didn't bring any other type of energy into it, yeah. it's it's a finite resource. Like it takes 10 million years uh-huh. for um, these, these fossil fuels at least to be produced, yeah. to turn into crude oil. Um, the reason we have so much of it is because there was a massive die-out of large dinosaurs. Now, see, I read that the dinosaurs had very little to do with it, and that it was like other uh, living creatures. Well, you tell me who said that. <laughs> I don't know. I have to go look it up. <laughs> Some guy a lot smarter than me. Okay. so But regardless. Regardless. Um, the dinosaurs may or may not have had something to do with it, but things that lived at least 10 million years ago sure. and whose corpses were subject to these specific geological processes mm-hmm. the form oil, and there's only a very limited amount of it. It is the definition of a non-renewable resource. Yeah, petroleum. We're going to run out of it eventually. Yep. 
But like you were asking, like when that happens yeah. and what happens when we reach that point, that's what the debate over peak oil is. Because some people think we may never hit peak oil. Right. Um, we may we may come up with great alternative energy. Yeah, fill in the gaps, as it were. Right. Um, and and like maybe we'll just leave oil behind. Yeah. We'll never go back and like use up the whole world supply because something else will come along or we'll master wind technology and we'll be fine. But for the most part, people agree that we will hit this point of peak oil, which, again, isn't running out of oil. <laughs> it's where production plateaus and starts to decline while demand keeps increasing. Yes, I think you have a big problem there. If people don't get that by now. Well, no, if you if the you, third time. If you talk to <laughs> I can tell you that people who are peak oil adherents yeah. are very very satisfied with us right now because we pointed that out 3 times. <laughs> Cuz it's a big big misconception. Wait, is that him now? He's coming in here to give us a pat on the back. Right, yeah. He I guess uh, who could that be? King Hibbert? Hubbert? He's dead probably, huh? Uh, I believe so. All right, let's get into this. I mean, this. he was working in the 50s. So uh, I guess we kind of we laid out what we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. right? But it is all based on M. King Hubbard's Hubbard curve. That's right. Do we need to talk about the BP report, or is that old news? Well, they do that every year. Oh, okay. So what does the recent one say? Do you know? Uh, well, this is one of the recent developments. So this BP statistical um, review of world energy mm-hmm. – um, BP compiles all of this energy information every year, and it's a huge, awesome PDF of like energy information. Right. And um, in 2008, they published that they that we have one point or 1,238 billion barrels of oil improved reserves. That's 1.2 trillion barrels of oil improved reserves. Now, improved reserve doesn't mean that like you already have it in a barrel. It means that some seismologist has done a geological survey of an area and said, yeah, there's oil there, and it has a 90% chance of being easily extractable. Okay. And you probably have this many barrels in this reserve. That's a proven reserve. Right. There's also probably stuff that we haven't found out there yet. Oh, sure. That's That adds to the whole oil base. But BP said in 2008 that we have... 1.2 trillion barrels of oil. In 2012, they said that we have 1.6 trillion. So we added 400 billion barrels of oil in four years. Right. That's a that's a that was a huge thing that quieted everybody down. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, could be a little hinky because um, the people giving up this information um, get you know they get money. And funding based on things like this. Yeah, if you're and, a member of OPEC, and they're not um, they're not checking their work, uh, as it were, either. So what you have is um, you're not being audited, and if you lie about your numbers, you might get more funding. So a lot of people say, "Wait a minute, we shouldn't trust reports like this." Right. There, and yeah. There's for every for every bit of information or data, there's basically two ways to look at it. It's yeah. either truthful or here's all the reasons why it's probably not truthful. I know this is one of those things. It's just the point counterpoint just goes on and on and on. Yeah, and the reason why is because we have no idea how much oil is left on Earth. Like we can't say, and like the people who supposedly do know have reason to not be truthful about it, right? Or to exaggerate it even. Sure. So um, the BP statistical review is very, very widely respected. It's also criticized for that reason that you just said, but. 
the 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 whole idea behind this is what we is the based on what the guy who we were talking about M King Hubbard came up with in in the 1950s which is called the Hubbard curve right yeah and this just makes sense to me i don't know why it took this guy to come up with this um but it basically says you know what oil reserves are going to follow a trajectory right um you're going to tap it and you're going to pump oil out and after that production is going to plateau and then it's going to decline yeah it took some smart guy to figure that out yeah and i i'm i i feel where you're coming from you know? and i think the same thing but i think like there's a specific like like this guy really graphed it out sure and could predict like within maybe a year or something like that which he did the reason why everybody listens to hubbard was because um he predicted that the us would hit its own peak production in sometime between 1965 and 70 well he missed it by a year the us oil production peaked in 1971 yeah. and it's been declining ever since um and this guy's made other great predictions but the point is is his hubbard curve for any oil reserve if you look at all of the reserves on earth as one large reserve mm-hmm. then the earth's oil supply should follow the same predictable curve right and eventually when you hit this plateau and production starts to decline it's inevitable, right? That's right. It makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. Yeah. So where's the problem? Uh, well, the 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 uh, in 2007, the government uh, accountability office published mm-hmm. another study, right? That said, all right, we need to you know guard ourselves against this potential fallout from uh, the peak oil problem, right? And so there's a lot of factors here. You liken it to a marathon. This is a terrible analogy. I would say a relay race. That's where you messed up. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Because then you've got different team members doing better or worse. Oh, yeah. Contributing or detracting. I walked right by that. (laughs) Man, I I walked right by that. So let's look at it as a relay race. Okay. And each of the runners in your relay race is going to represent oil consumption, production, or alternative fuels. So as alternative fuels get more advanced... Then you're going to be using less oil, so that's great. Right. Um, as uh, consumption, um, I guess you know we're trying to make moves to just consume less. Right. Or conserve. Yeah, and conserving via. Uh, I know Obama's put in place a lot of um, stringent um, rules for car manufacturers yeah, these the, days. The cafe standards. Yeah. So in, in August, uh, he did. Uh, he signed in something in the law that doubles the. Uh, cafe standards to 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. That's awesome. Yeah, and so that will have a huge impact on oil consumption. So and if you're in your little relay race still, that means oil is, is stabilized a little more because you're just not using, using, using. You're decreasing supply, which is taxing demand, or, or you're decreasing demand, which is taxing supply less. Yes, um, but then other bad things can happen. One of the little relay racers might get hung up by um, the fact that China and India Mm-hmm. Are growing in many ways and need some of that oil. Yeah, and so all of a sudden you're going to be using more oil, and it's just a, a sort of a give and take, a little seesaw effect. Until, I guess, you, what do you get a plateau, or, you, or well, that's just the changes the formula. I think part of the analogy that I I got wrong too was like I was making all these racers like racing toward the the peak oil line, as yeah. the finish line. Humanity's like on a way on its way toward that. But how fast we get there it depends on these things. Okay, sure. So it's almost like they're marbles or jacks or stuff for us to trip. <laughs> they're banana peels. These are different kinds of banana peels. Okay. Some are slipper, more slippery than others. 
very good then. Um, one thing is for sure is that uh, here in the United States, we use a lot of oil for um, transportation. That's the the primary use. How, how, what's the percentage now? Seventy percent of all oil seventy goes to transportation in the U.S. Yeah, or is that worldwide in the U.S. Sorry. Um, and as of now, we are getting. The good news is we're at a twenty year low for far, foreign oil imports. Uh, we're at forty two percent. Right. That's a very glib percentage. Like when it gets to energy, you really have to pay attention to what how a, a uh, statistic is worded because there's a lot of different factors involved. There's a lot right. of different ways of looking at it, and that's a really good example of it. 70% of all of our petroleum goes to transportation. That's mind-boggling yes. figure. But what we're really talking about is not oil consumption or, yeah. or energy consumption. We're talking about where that oil goes to. And actually, our, our consumption of oil in the U.S. has declined in the last few years. So while we're still using 70% of all that oil for right. transportation, we're actually using less oil overall. What about the imports, though? Was that what you were talking about? Uh, well, the imports have actually declined as well. No, no, no. That's what I just said, but you said that's the stat that you have to be really wary of. Well, you have to be wary of all energy okay. stats. But no, like there are some that are just kind of broad and above boards, and one of them is how much we're using, how much we're importing. Right. Um, and are actually, we're, we're importing more, but we're using less. So we're importing something like um, 60% of all the, all the petroleum we used. In 2011, we imported. Oh, really? Yeah, which is more than the 58% in 2007. So it took a sharp decrease then because we're at 42% now as of August of 2012. No way. Yeah, it's a 20-year low for foreign oil imports. Okay, all right. So currently we're using, uh, as far as this, this uh, in 2011, we used an average of 18,835,000 barrels per day which is a very British way of saying 18.835 million barrels a day. Yes. A day. It's a lot. Yeah. A lot of petrol, which is also very British. Right. Um, but we we were importing less, and that's actually less than we were using before. And you say there's a sharp decline down to what? Down to where to 20-year low, supposedly, in, of uh, foreign imports. Of imports, not necessarily consumption. Imports. Okay. And why? Uh, well, a lot of reasons. I know that they found a lot more oil in America recently. Yeah. Apparently Texas and I think one of the Dakotas. And from what I understand also, oil. natural gas is stepping up in, in providing a lot more energy than yeah. it was before. Good for you, natural gas. Yeah, aside from the whole fracking problem. Frack that. So, Chuck, where are we at? Cause... All right, I think we're at the, the problems, the other side of the coin. 2006, the Cambridge Energy Research Associates said, you know what? We've got lots of oil. Don't you worry about it. We've actually got 3.74 trillion barrels, three times as many as uh, you guys said. As the the peak oil proponents. Peak oil proponents. Yeah, that's, that's you guys. Yeah. And, um, and don't you worry about it. It's going to be an undulating plateau. It's yeah. not going to be this drop-off. And we got oil for decades and decades that we can fill in the gaps as things come along with other forms of energy and the sky is not falling. Just shut up and, and watch Dancing with the Stars. Right. And if you read that BP report, it says that we have enough improving reserves to last it, us uninterrupted for 54.5 years, 54.2 years. Yeah. Um, which is a very long time. That's a, very, a lot of oil. 
peak oil people say, that's great, man. That's awesome. But mm-hmm. we can't just sit back and say, well, we're just going to keep going like this for 54 years because we will shoot ourselves in the foot. The whole point of believing in peak oil is saying that you, we have to take steps now. Yeah. For, to to make sure that when we hit that fifty fourth point two year, we're fine. We're totally covered. Uh, but as you say, there are plenty of people out there, like the CERA or CIRA, that says you guys are crazy. Just settle down. Yeah, like, and you know, the reason they say things like this is because there's a lot of oil out there that we haven't even touched in the Arctic, for example. Yeah. Um, maybe one hundred and eighteen billion barrels of oil, and we know it's out there. This is not a theory. No, they discovered it in the 50s. Yeah, it's, we, we know it's out there. It's just really expensive to go get because it's in the Arctic. Yeah, it costs a lot of lobbying money to get into the Arctic to drill. Under the ocean. Lots of oil down there. It's just very deep. We're just we're just waiting. And we got this oil shell all over Canada. Canada is basically like one big oil shell. shell. And, and the western U.S. too. Yeah. So don't worry, people. We've got all these, these super fields that we haven't even discovered yet. There's tons of oil. Don't worry about it. So, Chuck, the reason why we have all this oil, but it's just sitting there, mm-hmm. um, is mainly because it's expensive to get it under these conditions. Yeah. We still have plenty of oil that's easily gotten, mm-hmm. right? Um, and usually the way we get oil is in a three-stage process. Yeah. And most companies are only up to stage two. Yeah, so it's really a two-stage process. Does anyone even go to the third stage? Not yet. Except besides more like Boston? in the future. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that that's like that when when oil prices rise so high that ninety percent of your paycheck goes to buy gas. That's when they can afford. Yeah, because when you're paying twenty dollars a gallon for gas, then they can afford to go down to the Arctic. Exactly, there's an economic incentive. So normally, when you get oil, um, stage one is where you like tap the reservoir, and oil pretty much just bubbles up out of the ground. You get about 10% of that reservoir from that first stage. Second one, you have to exert a little bit of effort. You pump some uh, CO2 or some water into there, mm-hmm. and you recharge it, and it starts to come up. You get anywhere from, like, another 20 to 40%. Yeah, I think a lot of the – if you watch, like, There Will Be Blood, yeah. I think those early oil guys, those were the dudes. I mean, they're the, the, the dudes that are now, you know, the 1%. <laughs> like, I don't even think they were probably going secondary. They were just going around from oil – you know, tapping that top 10% yeah. cheaply and yep. just moving on. Right. But but now they move on after the second stage. Yes. Now, after the second stage, after you've taken um, anywhere from, uh, what, 30 to 50%. Yeah. Which means there's 50 to 70% of that reservoir still left. You cap it and say, well, let's mark this spot and move on. Yeah. Pee on it. Right. Put your little flag down. Well, no, you want to use like some sort of um, phosphorescent or fluorescent like crayon to mark it, and you can come back with a black light and be like, oh, here it is. <laughs> X marks the spot. So they cap it again because of expense, because to, to go down and get that final 50% is just too expensive right now. Same with extracting oil from oil shale or tar sands or yeah. um, getting into the Arctic or into the deep ocean. There's just not an economic incentive. But if you are a um, a critic of peak oil, you're going to say, we'll get to that when, like, we have all that extra stuff out there. Like, right. Calm down. Yeah. Right? It is kind of good to know in a way. 
you know, it, it's it, it's not. I mean, I guess it's probably good that it's expensive because it would be very uh, human-like to just suck those things as dry as a bone and then move on. And there, my friend, you just tapped into the central theme of peak oil. I did. It is very human-like to just keep plodding along and and suck something down to the bone and not look beyond that sure. day when the bone is dry. Sort of dry. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's sad. I've always wondered, too, if the earth needed oil. And I've looked it up on the internet, and I can't find anything. Remember? <laughs> yeah. We talked about this before. I don't remember in what, but that was, yeah. I and I researched again a little bit last night. I was like, and I can't find any intelligent person on the internet that it's not just some message board saying, you know, oil is the blood of the earth and the planet. And if we suck it dry, like, why do you think we have earthquakes? Yeah. So, but I don't know. There's oil and earth. It could serve a function, right? I would imagine. Maybe. I would think so. Tectonically I to, speaking, I tend to think of things as um, as a, a a whole, yeah, like that. Like the Earth has maybe there's reasons for everything like that. It or a, even if there isn't a reason, it's been around so long that something's become dependent on it. So it's sure. important to something else other than our cars, right? And it is a lubricator, and it is found within hard rock. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. So Chuck, we talked about. Um, how this article is kind of a, almost a throwback. That's a, a lubricator, by the way. You totally instead did. of lubricant. <laughs> it's a it's like a snapshot of like this kind of I don't want to say hysteria because I think it's it's right, but there was a lot of stuff going on in like 2008 that were making these peak oil adherents uh, say, "Hey, we're right. Everybody, pay attention." Yeah. And probably the thing that um, verified their beliefs more than anything else came on uh, July 11th, 2008. When oil reached an all-time high of $147 a barrel. Yeah, that is expensive. Right. And if you believe in peak oil or if you are uh, an adherent of the peak oil idea, um, this is like one of the four horsemen riding out of the sky. Yeah. But the thing was they ended up being um, – they were duped like everybody else by the speculators yeah. who had driven up prices. But they were saying, no, this is a problem. This is part of what they call peak light. Right. Which they think we've hit. Peak light is basically where production starts to plateau. Yeah. And we don't realize that it's going to eventually decline, but we're in the plateau. Right. And um, there'll be like little highs and lows. And all of those are going to, each one reflects this smaller scale, longer time frame version of the actual peak right. of oil. But it's kind of, um, it's like the smaller, smaller version of it once we hit yeah. the peak. And they think that's where we are now. Yeah. Um, and if you ask me, that peak sounds an awful lot like what Sierra was saying, the undulating plateau. Yeah. And peak light sound like they're virtually the same. Maybe so. Yeah, but the, they disagree on when we hit that. Well, oil per barrel is lower now, um, thankfully. That's one big thing. It's at, as far as this month goes, $86.37 per we, barrel. We've added, since 2008, we've added almost half a trillion barrels of oil improved reserves. Right. It's a big one. So we're moving in the right direction in some ways. Yeah. Correct. Alternative fuels? Alternative fuels are making up a lot bigger chunk. They make up for the first time, and here's a good example of another statistic you have to pay attention to, alternative fuels um, or renewables and nuke and hydro, Mm -hmm. for the first time ever in world energy consumption, make up more of the energy being used 
than any single fossil fuel for the first time ever in 2011 this happened. That's great. Covering growth and consumption. Right. So there's your there's a very big key factor. That means that everything past the year before, mm-hmm. that's the growth in consumption, right? Yeah. So it's covering 34% of that, right. not of all energy consumption. So it right. sounds like this huge, enormous number. And it's a good, heartening number, sure. but it's not what you'd think. Like you really have to pay attention when you're talking about yeah. energy consumption yeah. or energy stats. Very true, because stats can be very misleading in this realm. Right. And so um, one of the big problems with peak oil is anytime you say, well, hey, we have stuff in the Arctic Reserve, so we're fine. There's a lot of other problems that come up in conjunction with it. Oil is is it's very dirty, uh, literally and metaphorically. That's right. You could destroy an ecosystem very easily. Very easy in the Arctic. Very precious, balanced ecosystem. Okay, so let's just sink all of our money into all alternative energy. It sounds like you're setting me up. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's a great move, but um, it can be uh, promising on one hand. But things like switchgrass and cellulosic ethanol are very corrosive, and it's very expensive to retrofit gas pumps at a gas station and gas storage tanks. It's like a hundred grand a gas station. Yeah, so it's not like there's some super easy answer. Uh, well, plus coal. also, plus also, uh-huh. it's like um, you're taking investment money away from finding new oil fields, yeah, putting exactly. into alternative energy. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing until you realize that, well, wait a minute, we are, we're globalized. So if you take away oil from China and India, mm-hmm. you're going to slow down this economic engine. Again, you got to strike that balance. Right. It's Homer with uh, the goldfish and Mr. Pinchy again <laughs> with the salt, you know? That's right. It's the same thing. Uh, coal, um, they can actually make liquid coal now that can power a vehicle, which is great. With no alterations. Yeah. You can pump it right into your car. The bad thing is um, coal is really dirty, and you're going to be emitting 4 to 8% more greenhouse gases than gasoline even. Yep. So, again, no easy answer. Well, the same goes for natural gas. Natural gas made up 25% of um, the energy provided in the U.S. Uh-huh. that was consumed was provided by uh, natural gas last year. That's huge. It's more than coal. Yeah. came out of nowhere, right? But the problem is, is you have fracking alongside of that. Like, to exactly. get it, you have to basically, like, create an, an environmental disaster every time. Yeah. Um, so, there, yeah, there's all these problems with mitigating it. But the worst thing you can do is nothing. This one report that's kind of like peak oil adherence Bible found. It's called the Hirsch Report. Yeah, or a.k.a. peaking of world oil production, colon, Impacts mitigation and risk management, and um, Robert you can Hirsch. Understand why they call it the Hirsch report? <laughs> yeah, Robert Hirsch uh, put this together and uh, basically laid out three scenarios. It's um, do nothing, start ten years ahead of time to help out this problem, right. or start twenty years ahead of time. Yeah, to to really head off this problem and to head off um, these mitigations. It's um, figuring out alternative fuels, decreasing demand. Um, Basically, like yeah. just doing whatever you can to take the uh, the pressure off of production. Yeah. So and that we still have sure. oil. We're just using less of it. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, he says 20 years before would be the best way to handle this. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years before. If, if you did that, he said it could be a pretty smooth transition. Right. Um, if you start 10 years before, then what? It, you're going to have a problem for about a decade, a shortfall. And if you don't do anything, then you're going to have at least a 20-year shortfall. 
And so what we're talking about Globally. when there's like, yes, a global energy um, shortfall. Yeah, it's scary. that's scary times right there. Yeah, because oil, petroleum, crude oil and petroleum are found in our medicine, our foods. They are used by the tanker trucks and ships mm-hmm. that deliver petroleum, Yeah, use petroleum to deliver it. It's everything to everybody. It's the lifeblood of, of the global economic engine. And, dude, like we've never experienced anything like what, like the catastrophic collapse that would happen if we experienced a 10-year yeah. global energy shortfall. I got two words for you. Mad Max. Yeah. I you think, I, yeah, I don't, I think like, I don't see an end to that. Like if we experienced 10 years or 20 years, I don't see how we would ever come out of that. Yeah. I mean, cause it's easy to say, well, get on your bicycle. But like you said, it's not just, Hey, I put gas in my car to go to work. It right. is everything. Like all of a sudden I can't get food delivered to the grocery store or exactly. medicines and, uh, yeah, it's pretty scary thought. And, uh, the, the big, part of the, or I guess probably the biggest problem is like we won't know when we hit peak oil until a few years afterwards when all these telltale signs start coming. And I'm sure most people won't agree. So it'll probably be several years afterwards when it's just painfully obvious that, uh uh-oh, production is being outstripped by demand. Supply can't keep up with demand anymore and it looks like it's never going to go back up, which means we've hit peak oil, which means we're in trouble. What mitigation measures do we have in place? Yeah, one thing you don't want to hear someone say is oops. Yeah. You know? Especially when you're talking about the global economic engine. Yeah, and I think uh, you said uh, some people claim that it might have already happened in 2005. Mm-hmm. Others say, um, no, you know what, we're good till what, 2030? 2030 is when we hit that undulating plateau, okay. which would, which should be not a problem right. as far as Sears is concerned. But even um, 2040 is what you said, the most conservative peak oil um, I was about to say enthusiast, but right. adherence is, I guess, Hobbyist. the right word. Um, and yeah, you, That's the latest they think it's going to happen? As far as, as when I wrote this in 2008. Now, a bunch of stuff have happened. Remember, we added almost half a trillion barrels sure. of oil. We're using less. Our cafe standards were increased mm-hmm. recently. Um, the 3.4% of all new car registrations in the U.S. in 2011, no, 2012 so far, um, were hybrid or electric, yeah, which that, is up from helps. 1% just a few years ago. But it's such a drop. It is, but bucket, the, like know? all of those drops count yeah, in, yeah. in like just kind of prolonging this, this point till we get to peak oil. Alternative energy, um, investments are up. It's like we're doing all this great stuff. And as a result, all of the, People, all these really loud voices that had like a real stage in 2008 and had the ears of a lot of people who yeah. were um, governing at the time. Um, the, all these, the climate has changed. And I wonder if like it was because of a lot of these peak oil adherents shouting really loud that we have made some concessions. But now I wonder if we're just going to become complacent. Right. Like, oh, well, we staved it off. We're fine for now. And we're just going to kick it on down the road because I don't see a lot of effort going into it. I mean, not there's some, but certainly not what is needed. I, I just feel like we're all headed toward the cataclysmic like collapse of humanity. Eventually, we're all going to turn on each other and and ruin ourselves, and the earth will be scorched and empty. Nice. It may not be anytime soon. Where's maybe the, hundreds and on? hundreds of years from now. Who knows? But anyone that thinks that humans on planet Earth are we're going to be around infinitely forever because we're humans. It's just, uh, you know, 
they're fooling themselves. It's fool's gold. Nice. <laughs> How's that for happy? That is perfect. Chuck. If you want to learn more about peak oil, uh, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it'll bring up this article. And uh, I said search bar, which means it's time for listener mail, Chuck. I'm going to call this Where's the Orchestra? Um, this is from uh, Eric Steffens, and he is a double bass player, principal double bass player, in an orchestra near uh, Cologne, Germany. Oh, okay. And he listened to the Ben Soli Show about music and emotion, which we got great feedback on. And he says, many thanks to Ben, who played another fantastic and inspiring performance. He has a beautiful open way of discussing music. Couldn't agree more. Uh, many thanks to him for mentioning the importance of classical music. It's an art form that, unfortunately, too, fe- too few people are exposed to now. Uh, having a lot to do with its financial and logistical complexities, but nonetheless one of the most powerful and underrated forms of music today. And it has contributed so much to how we in the Western world hear and perceive music today. Uh, I would really love it if you guys could get out and hear another performance sometime, Uh, even more so if you encourage uh, SYSK listeners to get out and experience and support their local orchestras. Um, It is a difficult time for orchestras right now, and as Ben mentioned, Many are being forced to downsize or fold altogether. Uh, This is one of the reasons why I've ended up in Germany, uh, which still heavily supports many orchestras with state financing and media. The appreciation is very deeply rooted in the culture out here, and while it's a slightly different situation in the States, I want to remind people that classical music is not exclusive unless you make it so. And I would go on to even point out that he means orchestral music. Mm -hmm. It's classical as a period of time. Oh, yeah. You know? Way to correct him. He probably doesn't appreciate that. <laughs> um, it is not exclusive unless you make it so, so you don't need to have a tuxedo or a uh, deep musical education to appreciate the extreme beauty and the importance of it. Couldn't agree more. Please give it a chance. Help keep it alive. And uh, that is very good advice. Support your local orchestra. I guarantee you, whatever town you live in, unless you're in some really backward Kansas field town, you probably got an orchestra. Even yeah. if it's a smallish town, you might have an orchestra. Yeah. If you're in a big city, you definitely have an orchestra. Yes. Go out and see it. It's usually pretty cheap. Um, it's not like paying for, you know, 60 bucks to go see Jack White make noise. Jeez. <laughs> I like Jack White, actually. Oh, okay. But he's charging too much. <laughs> 60 bucks a head? Yeah, when he... Played that he got that rock rock and tours band mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Tickets are like sixty or seventy five bucks. That's a lot for one album of material. That's a lot. Anyway, um, thank you for all the years of explaining the world through fantastic podcasts. I hope for many years to come to hear these. Uh, when I drink my delicious Kolsch beer tonight, I'll prost you guys. Nice. And he says, "Schöne Grüße aus Cologne, Eric Steffens." Thanks a lot, Steffens. Appreciate that. Go out to an orchestra. I'm in favor of encouraging our listeners to go out and see an orchestra. Yeah, should here we in have Atlanta, a, we got a good one. A specific day where all Stuff You Should Know listeners go out to the orchestra? Well, I don't think you can count on all orchestras playing on that day in every town in the earth. Well, let's find out about <laughs> it. Let's find out. All right, let's see if we can get that together. Like, like no, I, I don't think we can make that happen, but maybe there's a day when orchestras typically play. Sure. It's like, traditionally speaking. Or how about, like, this winter season, make a commitment to go out? Because you, you're going to be darn sure that there'll be an orchestra playing some sort of Christmas classical concertos. Oh, good. good. You know? Okay. All right, that's it. You you have to go out and see an orchestra this winter. Yeah, but don't go see the Nutcracker. Nutcracker's not bad, depending on where you see it. 
I like it. It's a little dull. Really? You think so? Oh, for me, sure. There's like giant soldiers and <laughs> a huge. There's a rat that hits people with the. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, well, what do you like to go see? You see Christmas Carol? No, I mean I don't do any of that stuff. I go see, I go see Jack White and complain. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> um, let's see. If you have a favorite band you like to see that you think Chuck and I should see, or a uh, performance of some sort, uh, whether it's the Nutcracker or Jack White or whatever. Well, we've already covered those two, so you should probably leave them alone. Um, we want to hear from you. You can tweet your suggestions to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And you can send us a general email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 